I'm Chris Steyerwald. This is Kilmeade and Friends. I'm in for Brian Kilmeade, who is not. Uh, I mean, he's always in in a figurative sense, but literally speaking, he is not here. Uh, who is here or uh, in New York, uh, so he can't see how fly I look uh, with these headphones on, is Arthur Brooks. He is. Uh, his uh, his daytime job is as the president of the American Enterprise Institute. Uh, that makes him uh, the leader of the foremost conservative think tank in America. Uh, but his superpower is writing books. Uh, and uh, his latest book, which is out today, is called The Conservative Heart, How to Build a Fairer, Happier, and More Prosperous America. Welcome, Arthur. Hey, Chris, how are you? We are living the dream here in Washington. And again, <laughs> I'm sorry you're missing out on the cool side of me and headphones. It looks pretty good. Uh, uh, I can only imagine. It's, it's pretty dope. Uh, so here's the thing. Your book is different. Um, it's different in some ways from what you've written before. Uh, it's definitely, definitely different than most of what you will find in the politics section at the bookstore as people or go on Amazon as people look at your book. Um, there's not a lot of heart. There's not a lot of patriotic grace, uh, as Peggy Noonan's term for it, uh, as people talk. As a matter of fact, right now, there is somebody who's running for president on the Republican side who is winning cheers for being harder, tougher, meaner, rougher than anybody else. So how do you take a party that seems and a movement that seems to be uh, enamored of the idea of hardness and convince folks that it's time to show heart? Yeah. Yes, you know, I, I grew up in a liberal family, like a lot of people were listening to us today, and, and I converted to becoming a conservative because I care about poverty. I care about people being lifted up. And I learned that it's conservative ideas that have pulled two billion people out of poverty, from free trade to free enterprise to globalization. And that made me want to be in our movement. But the, the distressing thing is that when we get into kind of a, a pessimistic mood, which, by the way, is because we have an administration in Washington that's governing on the basis of division and pessimism, that we have a reaction of division and pessimism. That's a mistake. Conservatives are the party, are the movement to help help people, we're the movement of happiness and personal reflection on good values. We can't be we can't bring in new people and help them. We can't actually expand the movement and become more powerful and take back the country unless we express these ideas of unity and optimism and unless we show the heart that is all about compassion and fairness. Now, in 2012, I wrote that uh, uh, Mitt Romney uh, and Paul Ryan uh, ran uh, for president and vice president uh, and seemed at times to be the guys who were sent from the head office to close down your plant. Uh, they came with, uh, a, or maybe doctors with a bad uh, diagnosis, a bad prognosis for you. They seemed to have some, some, some tough medicine for the country uh, that involved changes uh, to entitlements, that involved uh, confronting uh, that was spending too much and it was about cut and it was about restraint and it was about um, hard places. Uh, they've been much criticized, uh, particularly Romney for not showing enough heart. Is that a criticism that's fair? Yeah, well, the Republican Party has tried being the spinach party a bunch of times. It ordinarily doesn't work very well. Right now, there are some sort of spasms to be the angry party. And I get that because I'm really mad, too, at all the bad things that are happening in the administration, the chaos and lawlessness and a lot of the things that are going on. I get it. But the point is now is the time for conservatives to step up and say, look, 
there are hard things that need to get done. The reason is not because we want to do hard things. The reason is because we want to fight for people who deserve a better country and are being left behind. That's what it means to really have a heart, to fight for people as opposed to fighting against things. And in my book, I mean, I wrote it exactly for this reason. It gives a step-by-step approach on how to do it. Basically, you know, readers... They, they, they follow some of the communications tips. People are going to say, man, I never understood it like that. And, you know, we, we actually might just win some converts. It's the, uh, I call them uh, the Judge Smales Republicans. Uh, Judge Smales in the movie Caddyshack says, Danny, I've sentenced uh-huh. boys uh, younger than you to the gas chamber. I didn't want to do it. I felt I owed it to them. And <laughs> and there is that approach. You hear that among conservatives very often as they come out and say, well, somebody's got to do the mean thing. The argument that you make is that a great deal of this has to do with packaging. A great deal of it has to do with that we have an expression in real America, which is uh, that I don't care. Let's see. Let's see. Uh, Nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. So yeah. if you if you aren't seeding your uh, policy prescription in a place of love or in a place of compassion or in a place of, of being helpful and interested and earnestness, nobody really cares whether you're right or wrong. Yeah, for sure. You know, there's actually a lot of research on this. <clears throat> One of the things that you find, and, and I talk about this a lot in the book, is, and I give examples of actually talking to real Americans who have been converted, but there's these studies that show that when when two people who are, who are or when voters who are independents consider a conservative and a liberal, a Democrat and a Republican, to be equally compassionate people, it doesn't matter how they come down on the two people's policies, if they consider them to be equally compassionate people, that fact will swing an independent voter by 10 percentage points to the Republicans. So compassion, the idea of fighting for people, looking out for the welfare of the poor, is not just something that can win. It's the only thing that's going to win. Right, because otherwise, a buddy of mine uh, said, I said, you're very conservative. Why are you a Democrat? He said, where I grew up, the only two people we knew who were Republicans were the Monopoly Man and Mr. Peanut. Um, <laughs> I want I'm not to, sure about Mr. Peanut. I think he's actually kind of a centrist, actually. And, and at the very and at the very least, is a cannibal, uh, or is <laughs> encouraging you to eat uh, other peanuts, which I've always found to be a little off-putting. That's just weird, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's, that's just plain weird. Okay, I, one of the one of the things I loved most in this book uh, was you talked about the Doe Fund uh, right. and uh, the pushing the bucket. And Devin Green, you write, had a tough start in life. His mother died of AIDS when he was six years old. His grandmother did her best to provide for him, but she did it by allowing dealers to sell drugs from inside her home. Several more moves later, Devin was arrested and confined to the youth block at New York City's Rikers Island Prison. It's a place, he says, where the guards are just as dangerous as the gangs. But the chaos brought clarity. It was there in the middle of all the violence and chaos that I knew I had to make a choice. Was this going to be my life or was I, Devin, going to do something about it? I chose change. And like, and just like Dallas Davis, another character you, another person you introduce us to, Devin soon found himself pushing the bucket. What does that mean? Pushing the bucket in the Doe Fund, and by the way, for listeners who are not aware, you'll read all about the Doe Fund in the book and, and dozens of other stories like this. The Doe Fund is a homeless shelter that specializes in guys, single guys, who've been in prison for a long time. These are, these are the people that society throws away, and it, may, it banks on the idea that through good values and hard work, the dignity of people's lives will lead them to rebuilding their lives. These guys are living proof that this can be so, and it's pure conservative principles. There's a guy in the book named Richard Norat 
He's also one of these Doe Fund guys. And when I met him, he had just, for the first time after 18 years in prison, after pushing the bucket, which is to say cleaning the streets, he had a, he got his first job working for a, a pest business. You know, he's a, he's a fumigator. And you know, I said, are you happy to see, you know, and how's your life going? And he said, let me show you something. He pulls out his iPhone, shows me an email from his boss. And the email says, emergency bed bug job on East 65th Street. I need you now. I said, so? He says, look at that. It says, I need you now. This is conservatism in a nutshell. It's the dignity of being needed for the sanctified ordinary work that's honest and real and earned success. That's conservatism, and that's the solution to our country. And now the... uh reason that society throws these guys away, though, is that that's what history suggests. The rate of recidivism, and you I'm, I'm not saying you don't point this out in the book, you certainly do. The rate of recidivism, the, the risks attendant to this most dangerous, this is quite literally the most dangerous demographic subset of our culture. Uh, so you understand, though, why those people were thrown away. Yeah, for sure. Look, it's just it's economically efficient. The the cyborg state, the big government, which just mm-hmm. treats people like numbers, which by the way is what liberalism has brought us in this country. It doesn't see each person as an asset to develop. It looks at these people as liabilities to manage. Again, conservatives should do better for our country. All right. Uh Arthur, can we convince you to stay around for another segment? You got it. All right. Okay. Well, now you have something to look forward to, America. If you stay with us, uh, we will talk more with Arthur Brooks. We'll get to your questions about uh, and answers about the Iran deal. We'll do it all after a quick break, and we'll be back with more Kilmeade and Friends. Kilmeade and Friends. Hi, I'm Chris Dyerwalt, and this is Kilmeade and Friends. Uh, Brian Kilmeade is not here, uh, but that's maybe bad news for you uh, as a nation and as a people. Uh, but it's good news for me because it means through an accident of scheduling and uh, obviously uh, faulty PR work, Arthur Brooks, the president <laughs> of the American Enterprise Institute and the author of The Conservative Heart just out today, uh, has been my victim uh, for a little bit and has, against his good Good judgment. Agreed to stay. Welcome back. Hey, Chris. Okay. So there's a thing that we struggle with uh, when it comes to ideologies in America. And the thing that we struggle with is very often the why. For a long time, the why was because my parents are, right? That was, we we have a lot of indications that ideology uh, was a heritable trait for most of American history. You are the way that you, and it's still very true, it's still in the 80% level, that you are going to share the same political outlook and the same uh, philosophical outlook as your parents. That's changed a lot of late. So conservatives particularly often struggle with the why. And it would seem to me that your book seeks to explain that, and really all of your work does to the degree, but you explain it through the lens of compassion and humanism. Explain. Yeah. So this is something that I struggled with myself coming from a family that's that's politically liberal. And I was in the music business for a long time. Then I was a college professor for a long time. No and liberals I had to get Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Ninety-seven <laughs> percent. I had to come up with a better way of explaining why I was conservative. And, and really what it came down to was not just making up a bunch of lines because I wanted to I wanted to convince people that I was not the stiff. I had to explain actually what was written on my conservative heart. And the truth of the matter is, I believe the same thing as a lot of liberals do about trying to lift people up. I just got a better way to do it. If 
you read this book, if you read The Conservative Heart, people who are listening, you're not going to lose your next argument about who does this better, conservatives or liberals, and you're going to help people to think for themselves too. This is our best shot right now in America at bringing the country toward our way of thinking for the good of the people who need it the most, which is not billionaires, it's not powerful people, it's poor people, people who are being left behind, people who don't even know they agree with us yet. Look, look we got to save this country, and our values are going to do it. Okay, you talk about why conservatives ought to be pra- the 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 compassionate nature of conservative Americans. You talk about uh, this was my favorite uh, that the. Uh, Data from 2000 suggests that people who identified as conservative or extremely conservative, uh, what did Mitt Mitt Romney said, severely conservative, (laughs) uh, made up less than one-fifth of the population, but provided more than a quarter of all blood donations. If liberals and moderates gave blood like conservatives do, the blood supply in the U.S. would instantly jump by about 45 percent. So what you're saying is that the individual compassion is there, but it's talking about it, right? Yeah. So for a long time, you know, when I was a when I was a little kid, when I was a kid and Reagan got elected, one of the things that Reagan did really, really well was observing that that good economics actually could lift people up. And so conservatives kind of got used in the 80s and the 90s to talking about free markets and talking about economics and talking about money all the time. And, and look, I've got a Ph.D. in that stuff. I believe in that stuff to my bones. But I realize that this is a different time. And if you just talk about material things as opposed to talking about moral things, if you say this is better for economic efficiency as opposed to saying this is going to make people free and it's fair and it's the way that we can support our fellow brothers and sisters more appropriately, you're going to lose the argument. So we have to remember that it's not about the money. It's about the people. You have to fight for people in every part of the argument. Um, I was, and this may sound strange, uh, I was, as I was reading this, and and as I thought about it really in in your prior works too, I was reminded of C.S. Lewis. Now, bear with me. I was was reminded of C.S. Lewis, and particularly his work, it was called Surprised by Joy. Now, you have done a lot on the question of happiness and what makes people happy. Um, C.S. Lewis talked about joy as different from happiness and that joy was something that while happiness was a condition like the weather or the quality of a meal that was it is based on current surroundings, joy it can be found in a sad time, joy can be found in a hard time if you are doing the things that you're supposed to do. If you are if you are where you're supposed to be doing what you're supposed to do, even if it's hard, even if it's tough, you can find joy there. Yeah, that's right. No, and, and Chris, by the way, any comparison with C.S. Lewis, I'll take. I'm a, okay. I'm, I'm, my, 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 my Christian faith is at the very center of my life personally, and I love that. I've read C.S. Lewis since I was a kid, so thank you so much for that. You know, our ideology, our political ideology, our, our, our religious faith, our, our personal philosophy – it, it isn't just a source of being happy at any particular moment. It's supposed to help our lives have meaning. One of the things that I talk about in the conservative heart is the four pillars of meaning in people's lives. And, and this is according to research and not just conjecture or theology. It's faith, family, community, and work, ordinary work that gives us dignity. And if we actually pursue those four things in kind of a portfolio of happiness, we will have more moment-to-moment happiness, but more importantly, we will have more joy. Mm-hmm. These, by the way, are non-negotiables for political conservatives. What do we believe in? Faith, family, strong communities, and serious, 
hard work based on personal responsibility, which not coincidentally are the sources of joy in people's lives. How is the Tea Party like Mothers Against Drunk Driving? The Mothers Against Drunk Driving was a very interesting organization. It started off as a protest movement when I was a kid, and it transformed itself into a social movement through a, a number of steps. And one of the things I talk about in the conservative heart is how the Tea Party can make the same kind of transformation as Mothers Against Drunk Drivers or as the Civil Rights Movement, for that matter. They both started off as protest movements against something else, and they wound up being social movements fighting for large groups of people. So I, I take it through one step at a time on what the Tea party can do over the next few years to become a social movement to become really the heart of the conservative movement and to go to real new heights of of, uh, of influence okay now you have a, a piece of advice that i think is very interesting uh and counterintuitive on its face uh you advise uh, your conservative brethren to be moralists what is, what do you really mean by that Moral, moral language is critical to communicating with other people. Again, talking like an economist, which I am, making Not that there's anything wrong with that. Exactly right. But making material arguments doesn't reach people in a way that's going to convert them and make them think differently about their preconceived views. Moral arguments, which talk about compassion for our fellow men and women and fairness, which is to say that people really get what they deserve, that's, that's incredibly important. Those moral arguments are going to touch people and and they're at the core of what we believe in. The, the political irony of our time, Chris, and I talk about this a lot in the conservative heart, is that that, that liberals, the liberal movement, it's really materialistic. We can solve problems with government money and big government programs, but it wraps itself in moral language. We, on the other hand, as conservatives, we're moralists. We believe in human dignity and that everybody is an autonomous individual and the made in the image of God can prosper, but we wrap ourselves in materialistic language, and that's a big error. We need to reverse that and become moralists. I will. Uh, I just have one more question for you, and then I will let you go be about your business. And I, I talked to John Kasich, uh, who's uh, running for president, or or may announce that he might be maybe running for president on the 21st of <laughs> July. Yeah. Uh, and John Kasich quoted scripture and talked about the moral case for uh, welfare, essentially, and talked about that we are called, and he quotes Matthew, and he talks about how we are, uh, that how Christians are called to do these things. And I posed the question to him, which was, well, yeah, but that's as individuals. Is it right for the government to compel people, essentially by force, uh, into the act of charity? You talk in the book, uh, in the conservative heart, about where the thresholds are that. You cite Hayek, uh, you cite Reagan about talking about the safety net. What does a conservative safety net look like? So I think that one of the key things that conservatives need to absorb is that there's nothing inherently wrong with a government safety net. Reagan was for it. Friedrich Hayek, the most influential conservative economist of the 20th century, was for it. The problem is what it's become. And it's not that it costs too much money, although it does. It's that it's trapped people in cycles of dependency and is wrong morally for us to hurt the least among us, the most vulnerable people, with bad government programs. So what I suggest in this book is declare peace on the safety net, sure. 
sure. But remember two things. The safety net is only for the truly indigent. It's not middle class programs. It's not a web of crony capitalism and things that reach all the way up into the population. Number one, just for the poor. Number two, always with work. The difference between conservatives and liberals is that liberals frequently treat work as a punishment. Conservatives know that work is a blessing. We can bless people twice if we have a safety net that also requires work so that people can build their lives. That's what I suggest in the conservative heart. Arthur Brooks is the author of The Conservative Heart, and I will say this. If I can understand it, if I can consume this, I, it takes me about a month to read uh, one of Charles Murray's books. Uh, I was able, I was able to, to get through this sucker in a weekend, uh, and it was a good read. It was clear. It was, uh, it was easy to consume and put forward in plain language. And for that, I am eternally grateful. Uh, thank you for being with us today. Thank you, Chris. You're awesome. Uh, all the best of luck. I'm glad you're sitting in today. You're doing a fantastic job. Power to the. I like your analysis.